I'll hit record as soon as you hit the... A radio show that confesses Christ. Without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously. Without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to... Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach I thought that about baptism. That and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep preaching uh, the word. Passes. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, the only podcast and radio show where the sound of the host chewing is as engaging as the content. Are you done eating over there? That's right. Hey, you you dressed Not up yet. for the occasion. I I, I didn't get the I did. memo. This I'm my sorry. Feeny impersonation. <laughs> did you see this? I just came from a funeral of a family member of the congregation, and I learned a long time ago that when you go to a funeral that you're not officiating yet, you cannot look more like the pastor than the pastor there. Ah, uh, yeah. Do they ever just, like, say, hey, why don't you from, take, take from over? That's, take over. That, that's what, ha- you know, you walk in, people are like, uh, yes, pastor, where should I say? Uh, I'm not pastor here, so this is, I'm undercover today. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I, I'm in my, uh, my, my, my summer uh, clericals. You see this? this Clerical, you know, what, yes, once it reaches one, once it reaches one ten, I decide to go for the sleeveless and tab collar. That's that's what I do. Speaking of Cons Feeney, he made a Facebook group one time back in the day when he was still in Denver, uh, and it was "I'm liturgical to eighty six degrees," <laughs> <laughs> and the rule was you wear vestments and albs and clerical collars and everything. Until it's 86 degrees in the sanctuary on a Sunday. We were in Denver. None of the churches had air conditioners. And then once it gets to 86, all liturgical rules are off. I was like the curator of liturgical pomposity or something. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that group. That's That great. guy's been funny for a long time. He has. Uh, hasn't worn off. Uh, so uh, how are you doing over there? Doing pretty good? Fine. Fine. I... I'm ready. We're doing today buzzwords, and we're going to get a briefing on the Psalms of Lament. And then we're going to do some praise song crunching, talking about the Bethel and the prosperity gospel. And then we hope that we're going to run out of time because we don't have anything else planned. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Well, if we stall long enough on some of that stuff, we'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Here's my speaking of stalling. Here's my buzzword foreknowledge. Ah, that's interesting. Now, I've I've been working on. Oops, I, I'm working on the epitome. Of the formula of Concord, the doctrine of election. What is that all? Okay, so form, remember formula of Concord, 1577, where the Lutherans are fighting about stuff. They said, here's the right doctrine. The epitome is the summary of that. And so I tried this this week. I made like a, I made like an outline video of the epitome. And I even, I even published my notes in a little, see my little flip book here? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I glued them all together. Look at that. That's kind of cool, huh? Hmm. So here's all my notes on this, what I made this video out of, to talk about that. And one of the things that they do at the very beginning is the Lutherans say, we have to make a distinction between foreknowledge and predestination. 
Remember that? Mm. And they said God's, here's a couple of differences. God's foreknowledge extends over everybody. Uh, God's, God knows everything that's going to happen. And God's foreknowledge is not simply a knowledge, but the Lord acts on it. But they said it, it doesn't mean that God causes evil, but God does, number one, set a limit to evil and sin. Number two, he uses evil and sin for the purpose of bringing about his good pleasure, especially his glory and the salvation of his people. And three, God punishes evil. So the Lord, and so those three things are part of God's foreknowledge. He knows what's going to happen. Even he knows the bad things that are going to happen. He doesn't cause the bad things to happen, but he does, the Lord is acting in this world in those three ways to limit, use, and punish evil things that are going on. So that's God's foreknowledge. In the last second, I just did an audible to a different buzzword because uh, to, to jump off of something that you were talking about and to talk about lament. So I was going to have my buzzword to be lament, but now my theological buzzword for you is theodicy. And so, so um, I'm, I may be all these, all this time, you know, I, I, I like to think I, I know what I'm talking about, like a 10th of the time. Um, I've always just kind of seen theodicy as a general label for the discussion of why do, why do bad things happen to uh, good people? That's kind of the, the usual setup, right? Um, but if we look at the actual etymology of the word, I didn't, you know, maybe do this until, um, uh, Dr. Schultz pointed out is that the, the the word actually Theo being God and uh, from also from the Greek for uh, uh, justice right so really it's trying to bring some kind of a justice to God or a vindication of God in light of you know bad things happening um, so that's kind of the real uh, meaning of theodicy now I, I still think it's a, a broad term to, about the whole discussion but really it's going to be saying how do we defend God in light of these things happening if God is all-powerful is God if God is um, merciful he's a good God uh, then how or why would he allow these things to happen and so theodicy is bringing a defense to that and I think that'll come into our conversation a little bit it's a good thing you have a long cable there on your headphones because I don't no think you go any further. Uh, so, theodicy. Now, uh, I feel bad for you and for all those listeners who who heard the call to come to listen to Dr. Schultz in Rogue River, heard the call and did not, uh, just fell upon deaf ears in the hardness of your heart. He, we did not heed the call. You did not heed the call. That's right. Uh, it was very good, though. He uh, was in Rogue River last week talking about uh, the fellowship of his suffering. But you know a thing about this because you've been doing these interviews with him. Where, where are those interviews found, by the way? Mm. On the YouTubes. Okay. All right. So, uh, so, so we. He's got a shirt. I mean, I think Wolfmuller One would be the place to go. Aren't you curious about what book I pulled off the shelf? Oh, yes. Tell Aren't me. You dying to know. Since I saw you stretch. Uh, I, what is it? I can't read it. My Milton. This is my Milton anthology. Ah. This is how he begins Paradise Lost. Hmm. I'm in like page 26, Paradise Lost. He says, I may assert eternal providence and justify the ways of God to men. Mm -hmm. And which is really interesting because that's the opposite of normally what when we talk about justification, we're talking about, what are we talking about? We're, we're talking about anthrodisy. Hmm. Not yeah, theodicy, right. Right. 
uh, because God is justifying us. But it, it, the argument gets flipped around, and we're like, hey, hey, what about God doing all these other things? And we want to make that we want to make that move. Hmm. Well, so so I mean, I think that the thing that he put forward that's been on my mind was, you know, rather than this idea of rushing to the defense of God, that uh, what we find uh, in the Psalms, for example, uh, David as an example, you know, praying these things that are not first, you know, bringing the defense of God that he's, you know, not the doer of evil or whatnot, but that David in the lament Psalms would accuse God uh, or, or at least complain and say, why would you do this to me? And uh, he suggests that that's an essential part when we're faced with those times in which God could have done something and didn't, or God, you know, uh, some terrible thing happened to me, which God could have prevented. That it's 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 an essential part of the Christian life to uh, pray these laments and to um, not first be looking to defend God, but first to just you know pray Psalm twenty two, for example. You know, why have you forsaken me? Well, so now in your interviews with him, what what have you been thinking about with that? Uh, notion. I'm a worm and not a man. I think there's a way. Let me put for. Uh, let me put a thesis forward that I uh, maybe want to test with Dr. Schultz on our next conversation. And that is that every attempt at theodicy is an attempt to make God not fearable. <laughs> so mm. the Bible sets us to fear the Lord, and that's right. what the laments come from. Like, right. Lord, you could stop this. You, you, but you haven't. I know you love me, but you don't love me right now. You're, all these things are happening, and you're not coming to help. And I, I'm, I tremble at that. I'm, that makes me afraid. Who, who is this God that I can't explain? Uh-huh. I can't um, comprehend. So there's a fear of the Lord, and and so the theodicy wants to make this argument where, no, no, that's. I mean, whatever. That's the Lord lets it happen, but it's it's the devil that's doing it, right? Or it's it's trying to you try to make that argument, and then so God is not this just the simple the and and the biblical posture is that the Lord is to be feared. That's yeah. that's what the Bible gives to us, and and we we shouldn't if our preaching or our, our theology is moving away from the fear of God, then we're we're moving in the wrong direction. The Odyssey, uh, uh so theodicy moves in the wrong way. Lament moves in the right way. Mm. Lord, uh, I know you've been faithful in the past. I know that you love me because of the death of Jesus on the cross. I know that you could bring this wickedness or this evil or this suffering to an end, but that you're not. I don't know, have any idea why um, I belong to you. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. This is the the Job text. and And so... We just live in the fear of God, and that and the lament comes from that. What do you think about that? I, I think you're right. Uh, I think um, there's something to be said about now. I'm standing before God, and uh, th- th- that so much of our so much of Christianity today is about making God your buddy or your life coach, um, and and that just is a complete opposite. That God is someone to be feared. So, I want to say a word about that and the Psalms when we come back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio.
Testing the myth that practice makes perfect. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Sounds good. Now, I have a thesis for you. Uh, right. I, I'm not sure it's fully formulated, but jumping off of what we were just got done talking about in the last segment, uh, I know how you're, would this be accurate to say not a huge fan of the uh, theology of the cross distinction that's put out? Is that true? Yes. Okay, so here's here's what I wonder, um, and, and maybe it's been a while since I've read uh, Heidelberg, so... But I think what we normally get out of that um, distinction between the theology of the cross, theology of glory, is that we talk, we say that the, theo- the theologian of glory uh, looks around to the circumstances and uh, basically analyzes his his uh, standing before God based upon his surroundings. So if bad things are happening to me, God must be. Uh, mad at me, and if good things are happening to me, God must be happy. And we say, well, we don't want to be a theologian of glory. We want to be a theologian of the cross. He's the thing what it is. Now, there's a lot of value in all of that. Um, But I think because we kind of see that as a a Lutheran distinctive, that maybe we we go too quickly beyond asking the question— you know, what is going on in my life, um, this disaster that has come of me, uh, is there a place to understand God's—to uh, to fear God in light of this disaster? Um, and that would lead uh-huh. us—that would lead us then to um, to the Lament Psalms and seeing God's faithfulness and the cross uh, in that situation. But the theologian of cross distinction has made us skip the step. What do you think? That's interesting. Yeah, so we say you can't learn about God from what happens around you. You can only learn about God from the cross. And so it's like it, it, what ha- the result is that we we become like practical atheists, like God is not actually acting in the world. Like, like all this, you know, I got cancer. Well, what does the Lord have to do with that? Nothing. Right. I, that's all the fallen creation. It's like, well, no. Exactly, the, yeah. I, the, the, I got to learn this when I got sick last summer. So if, the Lord, if the Lord wants us to be well, then we're well. And if he wants us to be sick, then we're sick. And one of the, one of the things that the miracles prove for the Christian, when we see that the Lord can, for example, raise the dead, that when he doesn't raise the dead, it's because he wants the dead to be dead. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Lord can heal the leper, which means if, he wants the, if the leper still has leprosy, then the Lord wants him to have leprosy. So the Lord is using that evil for his own good, for his own purpose. So while it's true that we don't say, so, okay, so I think you're right. I think that's a great thesis, and here would be the counter-argument. Okay, let's, let me think how to do this. The, you know, the, let's say, the Epicurean, let's well, just do this. The prosperity gospel, on the one hand, would say, I'm blessed by God if I'm living a blessed life. Okay. On the other hand, we would say, well, if the if I'm living a terrible life, and we would say that's not true. The other person says, if I'm living a terrible life, well, that's the real Christian life because, you know, the Lord promises us trouble and crosses and all this. Well, look, what we want to be able to say is that the Lord Jesus is over all of it. 
So if the Lord gives, we receive and we bless his name. If the Lord takes away, we bless his name. It's th that the Lord is Lord both of sickness and health, of life and death, of, of good and bad, of po poverty and wealth, of all of it. The Lord is over all of these things. And so we are able to rejoice in whatever circumstance we have and receive it as a gift from God. So, you know, when the Lord makes us sick, we receive it as a gift from his hands. When the Lord heals us, we receive it as a gift from his hands. Everything comes to us as a gift. I, I started to make that Epicurean Stoic move. The, the Stoics would say, pleasure's good. The, uh, the, sorry, Epicureans would say, pleasure's good. The Stoics would say, suffering is good. The Christian says, Jesus is good. <laughs> and if he gives me pleasure or pain, that's what's good. What is, is we receive from his hands uh, all these things. It's one of the differences between the old prayer of the church, which prays for the sick and says that they could receive this affliction from the hands of God's fatherly goodness, versus the new prayer of the church, which says, please take away all this trouble. <laughs> mm. So we're praying that we would receive this in a godly and good, holy way. Mm. It reminds me of this uh, Paul Gerhardt hymn. It's in the in the uh, Lutheran service book section, Hope and Comfort. Do you know what TLH called Hope and Comfort? Cross and Comfort. What's the difference? <laughs> anyway. Uh, so here's this third stanza. God gives me my days of gladness, and I will trust him still when he sends me sadness. God is good. His love attends me day by day, come what may guides me and defends me. Uh, so here, I mean, here you have it. Okay, he gives me his my days of gladness, and he also sends me my days of sadness, but that comes right after, uh, that comes right before this confession, God is good, his love attends me. So so that we, that, that this, uh, the bad times aren't divorced or removed or separated from the goodness of God. And that's, I think, what the Lament Psalms are would guide us to, that yes, I'm here because of the Lord's hand, and yet he's a good God, uh, and his His love does attend me. So yep. I've been reading um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's little book on the Psalms, uh, which is like here which is like that big. I've been I've been reading it for like three months now. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll work my way through it though. Um, but so so he he makes this point that that we learn to pray from Jesus. I mean, they came to Jesus and said, "Lord, teach us to pray." And so he he gives us the words to pray. I mean, it's 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 so far removed from this idea that a a sincere prayer needs to come out of your heart because uh, I think the disciples probably knew what comes from their heart, and it wasn't prayer, <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. so that that God uh, specifically Jesus must give me the words to pray, and then uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer is making this point that the Psalms. Are the is is the prayer book of the Bible, and they are all the words of Jesus. So we we think of them as David Psalms, but before they're David Psalms, they're Jesus's Psalms. They're Jesus's prayers. So we that we can see this the Psalter as God's book teaching us to pray, and that would include these these passages like "My God, My God, Why have You Forsaken Me? I'm a worm, and not a man." Things like that. Jesus said, our fathers trusted in you, they trusted in you, and you delivered them. 
Mm-hmm. They cried out to you, and you delivered them. But me, I'm yeah. a worm. Yeah. Why? Why? This is something. It's really something. You know, I mean, there's a... It... <laughs> this is... It seems... Or I... Uh, study the Lord's Word, the more I see two things coming into conflict with one another. And this is my own weakness. It's not, This is not an essential conflict, but it's my own weakness. But it is this. It is the conflict between theology and prayer. Hmm. And even just with things like, well, God knows what's going to happen, so why pray? In other words, God's foreknowledge is used against the fact and the act of prayer. <laughs> or God never changes, so why pray? Mm. You, you see, so so that um, our abstract um, our abstract uh, words or our ab- abstract ideas that we use to describe God kind of come up against prayer. And I think when we are are studying the scriptures. It's almost like, well, just let the theology go and pray. That's the, that's the, uh, if the theology doesn't make sense with prayer and praying the way the Bible wants us to pray, then we, then we let the theology go and we pray. Hmm. Um, now, again, that's a false distinction, but it, it seems, it just keeps kind of coming up in my own thinking and my own, and, and my own conversations with people where, um, it's like these abstract ideas stand in the way of actual getting on our knees and praying and begging the Lord for whatever it is that we need. And mm-hmm. so so we got to there, there's a priority given to prayer. And your point from Bonhoeffer and the Psalms is right, that the the Lord teaches us how to pray. And the Psalms are the Lord's schoolhouse of prayer. I remember when I was in college, I struggled to pray this, the Psalms, particularly the lament complaint Psalms, because... Uh, I felt like I couldn't identify with them. I was I was saying in the sense that, boy, here you have David who, um, you know, is is uh, you know people are trying to kill him simply because uh, of who he is, and you have the full emotion of those those prayers, and then here I am, I like I don't know, got my hours reduced at work, and I'm praying, why, oh Lord, why would this happen to me? Uh, you know, but but Bonhoeffer also speaks to that 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 this is not about you, um, but that we are to learn prayer from God and His Word. So it's not important that you identify with them; it's important that you pray them. And the, I that's there's mm-hmm. a treasure there. Yeah, it it um that's right, and it's hard to also know. I mean, part of the problem is the. Um, the the way that difficult things in our outward lives resonate in our inner lives is very strange. It's not proportional. So the mm-hmm. really bit, you know, when you find someone who has a huge trouble, then it's it's like the difference between like breaking your leg and getting a splinter in your heel. Like you break your leg and everyone's like, "Whoa, look at that broken leg!" And you're like, "I'm okay, you know, just take me." I mean. You know, you don't feel the pain in proportional ways. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing in our conscience and our hearts. So, yeah. So yep. it's good to remember that, too. Okay. Well, let's take a break, and then we're going to dive into a song by Bethel Music. Uh, revivals in the Air. I think you, 
Do you feel that? I think there's revival in the air. We'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. How many Table Talk Radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? You'll probably have to settle for one. The Sunday Drive Home, Grappling with the Text on the Theo Vlog. These are some of the playlists on the YouTube channel. Visit YouTube slash Wolfmuller1. Check it out there. Okay, everyone's favorite, the Praise Song Cruncher. Praise song. We are your praise song crunching jerks. Someone asked me an email the other day about, hey, what about Bethel and the prosperity gospel? I see a bunch of people criticizing it, but not the Lutherans. What do the Lutherans say? And I pointed them to Chris Rose Bra. Remember our Chris Rose Bra? There's a Lutheran who's criticizing it. (laughs) He's taking it down. The reason like the John Cena of theology. The reason the reason oh. that Lutherans aren't criticizing the Bethel thing is because Chris Roseborough is single-handedly doing it all by himself. <laughs> what is that meme that my kids were showing me the 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 TKO out of nowhere or whatever where uh or the where <laughs> there was some worldwide wrestler he would be pa- pasted in on some things and he would just jump out of the window and crash people. R- RKO, that's what it was. RKO, random knockout. <laughs> that's what Chris Roseborough is. He's the random knockout of Bethel. But we should jump in here. Why not? Yeah, hold on. All right, well, this is uh, Revivals in the Air, Bethel Music, uh, featuring Melissa uh, Helsler. This is how Feet. it goes. You might need to pull up the words, Pastor. Okay. This oh, is what gets I, our I, I, thing I for, demonetized on YouTube. Oh, yeah. You can show us that. I forgot about that. Here, I'll work on it. Oh, I can feel redemption on the wind. Forgiveness like the tide rolling in. Taking up the space where shame has lived. Hey, that's not the most musically complex song. Hey. <laughs> go, can you, uh, you should go to the end like one minute before the end and see what's happening. Hey. Let's see, about right there. Hey. See, I probably need to screen share again, huh? That picked up. Glad we did this. 
<laughs> Where are the words? It's just a mountain on fire. <laughs> it's like flashbacks to Colorado. You wanted me to hey, go. Don't set that mountain on fire. We just missed the big exciting part, and now it's down. It's like. Do you want me to back it's up just more? A perfect bell curve. No, I think. I bet you they'll ramp it up. The Maybe nah, not. I bet this is the. The down. You think so? We'll bet on it. I bet they ramp up. Okay. I mean, I'm kind of entering the How trance right now, so. <laughs> About uh, 30 seconds. Wow, you could be right. You don't know how this works. Thank you very much. Well, you were right. <laughs> All right. Well, you got the words right. there. Maybe we let's can start at, to. I do. Pick, pick I do. Apart let's, some of that. Uh, let's crunch. Uh, let's see here. We got um, revivals in the air. Uh, so our first question is what is G oh, is Jesus mentioned? Um, and I think so because here this this idea of you dying to give that's probably talking about Jesus. Would you say so? Yeah, I think so. Let's save. Okay. So receiving. So take him to space where shame is lift. I kind of like that lady's voice, by the way. I, as you mentioned, it's not real complex a song. So. Um, so is Jesus mentioned yes or no? I do believe that Jesus is mentioned there. I cannot see other places where Jesus is mentioned. There's the v dry bones. Mm. Can you see anywhere else? The, I, th that might be it. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, what's going on here? Revival's in the air. Catch it if you can. He's moving on the wind. Whoops. That's an aggressive highlight. Uh, he's moving on the wind. The dawn is breaking. Oh, what's going on there? Everything you lost loves returning. That is that a prosperity gospel promise right there? It, it, I don't think it necessarily has to be, but we're on the lookout for prosperity gospel because of Bethel, right? Because they're all into that stuff. Um no, I, that's all I got. I, so I think yes, the answer is yes. Jesus is mentioned. Very just a little, little bit, tiny bit. Okay. okay. The next question is: Is this song mystical in form, which has to do with repetition <laughs> and uh, <laughs> s phrases, not sentences? Uh, this look at these little staccato. Now the, these are: Let the wind blow, let the tide roll. What does that even mean? I don't know. Roll Tide. Uh, Till the earth knows you're a god of love. How? What? Uh, my guess is going to be that that this wind blowing is going to be a reference to John three when Jesus says, mm -hmm. "Remember to Nicodemus." Um, he says uh, that wind blows where it, the spirit blows where he wills, but you hear the sound. You don't know where it's come from, where it's going. That's going to be my guess. So this about the revival is about the spirit kind of blowing where he wills. That's that idea. But why is it that so much of American Christianity is always talking about revival? Do you know? Do you know the answer to that? Um, I would suppose that um, because of 
so much as kind of resting upon the emotions, you know, so that emotion is the kind of the barometer of the spirit, that emotions are the highest during the revival. So you remember back when you were a youth and you went to those uh, uh, revivalistic uh, youth things, <laughs> youth events? Mm -hmm. Did you go to those? And they always yeah, had yeah. some kind of big thing. I mean, you were just kind of riding one revival to the next uh, if you yep. were caught up in that kind of thing. Yep. They were always talking about things being caught on fire. And so, and it always has that idea. So, okay, so so revival's in the air. This is the theology. Revival, that's what the song's called, revival's in the air. Mm -hmm. So you have the wind imagery and you have the wave in, uh, imagery. And that's very two mystic pictures moving on the wind. The dawn is breaking. So this is the idea is like the Holy Spirit is going to come with this great awakening, you know. Oh, lift your eyes to see he's better than you dreamed with everything you lost, love's returning. I don't know if that's, again, prosperity gospel. It could just be saying like, hey, you lost what? I mean, remember how the big the big picture of sin in this kind of thing is that we're broken. Yeah, yeah. So we've lost our sense of self-esteem or whatever. And so now the Lord is recovering that because he loves us. So our just our problem is that we're we're loveless. Here's a theory for you. Our problem here is that we're loveless and so the love of God is saying no no, we're not loveless, we're loved. Mm. But the problem is not that we're just love less. Remember Heidelberg disputation, which you referred to earlier, Luther? He says, we are not lovable. Hmm. We are unlovable. Yeah, that's a big difference. Of our sin. That's a big difference. Unlovable. And so the Lord comes along and he says, I'm, I love you on the cross. So the unlovableness is our sin, that we're enemies of God. And the cross now forgives our, our sin. That's a big, that's a big deal. That's a big difference than what's going on here, right? Yeah, uh, and that and that's that is what's so pervasive um, in terms of uh, what you hear in most of the praise songs is that uh, I think before we we critiqued it from a self esteem perspective. Remember that whole conversation, and that's mm -hmm. kind of what this is getting at. Well, no one else would love me, but God is the one who comes out and loves you when no one else will. Um, but that, again, as you mentioned, does not really address the matter of transgression, that I'm a sinner mm -hmm. uh, needing mm -hmm. forgiveness. Look at, uh, so we at, we're asking still the problem of um, uh, what, repetition as one of the marks of this, and this was just it, <laughs> fantastically repetitive. <laughs> so mean, on the repetition and mystical form, we get a yes, and as we mentioned before, on the <laughs> mystical content, which is our third question, we also are passing, because it's, it's, a, it's a matter of, it, you know, it's this, like... This the whole picture of the song. Well, it goes. I suppose it goes back to the dry bones imagery, mm -hmm, right? That came mm -hmm. up a couple of times. So the dry bones picture from Ezekiel. Uh, here it is. So, so it's it's this is a kind of funny song. You have a you have a verse, and then you have a chorus. Verse, chorus, bridge, bridge, chorus. I mean, bridge, chorus, bridge, 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 bridge. So there's two verses right at the beginning. But that second verse here. In the middle is the dry bones 
where the kind of major picture of it. So I can see a valley of dry bones rattling, moving bone to bone. You breathe the breath of life into our lungs, marching on our knees. We march to love, which is kind of nice imagery. But it's this Ezekiel valley of dry bones and resurrection. And that's what the Lord is doing now. He's working that kind of resurrection or that kind of new life in the church for the revival for our day. Yeah. Ironic that the very mystical picture. The picture of the dry bones was in response to God's total annihilation of Israel in the Babylonic captivity. <laughs> Just for their sins. Anyway, we'll be right back listening to Table Talk Radio. Don't ask me why, but you've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. You know, I suppose that's right. There's probably... Uh, that's probably a really good picture of revival. You have this valley of dry bones, and then they all come to life. And I mean, that's, by definition, revival <laughs> in the most extreme sense. But as I tried to squeeze in before the break, uh, Ezekiel's given this vision of the, of the uh, dry bones after um, Jerusalem had been completely destroyed— They've been carried off to captivity in Babylon, and the Lord is showing them that even though uh, they have been uh, transgressors against God and have worshipped false god and and brought brought idolatry into the temple itself, God was going to be a keeper of his promises. So even in the in the biblical example of Ezekiel, it's it's still putting it in the context of sin and uh, God's mercy and forgiveness. Um, so seems like if we're going to be using that uh, picture, that vision, we ought to use it in the same way. Do you are any of these words supposed to rhyme with each other? Bones, bone, lungs, love. You know, as long as we get the first letter the same, that's good enough for me. That that's a rhyme in my book. <laughs> Look down here, though. Blow, Uh-oh. roll, nose, love, bones. <laughs> Song, glory, the boy, you are you are a a tough critique. I'll tell you. Well, I think there's, I mean, it's kind of just a loose, very loose rhyme scheme. Mm -hmm. I mean, not not that I want to be a like rhyme scheme scheme critic, but (laughs) just looking at it, trying to pay attention. I think you already addressed Uh, the law gospel stuff. Anything else on that? Yeah, that's our problem, is that we are dry. They were dead, but is it that we're dead in trespasses and sins, or that we are spiritless? Mm -hmm. Not on fire is the problem. We're fireless. A breath of life into our lungs. Okay. That's, I mean, again, a mystical image. It's not an unbiblical one. It comes from Adam and also from this Valley of Dry Bones, which is great. But remember in the praise song, how is the Lord breathing a breath of life into our lungs? It's in the singing of the song, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? It's in the experience of the worship service that we we, we are receiving the Spirit and being spiritually made alive again. So we can't kind of miss that. Now, do you think this song, and maybe it doesn't, but do you think this song is guilty of the prosperity gospel? I don't know. I think with the knowing that Bethel has that going on in the background, I would say this fits. 
but I don't think it's explicit in the text. Okay, so uh, let's let's transition about that a little bit. Um, what are uh, what what is the prosperity gospel for those who um, maybe don't know what that name means and and where are its downfalls? Yeah, I, I remember reading Joel Osteen book, who's a proponent of this, and it it comes out of a long it it's a it's a Christianized version of the power of positive thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. and it is the idea that. Our minds have the capacity to reshape the universe, and uh, that get, comes into the church as this. Our faith has the capacity to manipulate God, basically. So if you think the right things, if you use the right words, then the universe will collude to bless you, uh, even miraculously. Uh, and that's the, that's the underpinning of the prosperity gospel. Now, the, the kind of crude, basic idea is that if God loves you, He blesses you with stuff. And if He if He's if He doesn't love you, He doesn't bless you with stuff. But there's a there's a metaphysic and an ontology and a whole wrong idea of faith and everything that kind of is underneath that crude wrong idea. Yeah, this is a pretty damaging uh, doctrine, as all false doctrines are. But um, you know, there are countless people who have, in great despair. Um, uh, written off God altogether because God uh, didn't didn't provide things that He didn't promise to. Right, so yeah. so we're we're looking for God to give me whatever riches, fortune, uh, what whatever the thing is that we're trying to get, and it doesn't come through. So, well, God must not be a keeper of His promises, but He never mm-hmm. He never made those promises. I think that's the most dangerous and damaging thing is that it, you know, we want the Bible calls us to faith, that is to believe the promises, but the, the, a false prophet gives false promises. And so then we have faith, which we think is in God, and then it doesn't happen. I, I remember, I've told you the story of, have I told you my Fiji uh, interpretation of tongues story? I don't remember that one. So when I was 19, I remember I was a charismatic back in those days, and I had read this book about God answering prayer, and so I was praying that the Lord would give me the gift of interpretation of tongues so I could understand the preaching in the service in, in Fiji, because I, I didn't know Fiji, and I was trying to learn, but it's a, I was learning pretty slow. And so I remember one Saturday night, I had this overwhelming sense that the Lord had given me the gift of interpretation of tongues. And I was going to go to church the next day, and I was going to be able to understand everything that was preached. <laughs> I was so elated. And I went to bed, and I, I could hardly sleep. I got up the next day. I got in my, in my Sulu, you know, the skirt that the men wear in Fiji. Got dressed, went to church. They had some sort of revival service that day. as a Methodist church. They probably had six preachers. Service lasted for like four hours. I didn't even understand a single word. I mean, so, like less than I normally would. So to keep you too elated, the Lord gave you a thorn in your Well, and this was a huge problem, right? Because I thought that the Lord had given me that promise, but obviously he hadn't. And that's not a promise that the Lord has given. And, but I thought it was, and that, that disappointment at not receiving, I believed a promise that God had not given. Mm-hmm. And to wrestle through that, I, I think probably the weeks after that were some of the darkest weeks spiritually mm-hmm. that I had had, and it just opens your heart and your mind up to incredible trouble, temptation, I think even to demonic, I mean, just 
you know, the devil can get right in there. Did God really say? Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's a profound danger in the setup that the prosperity gospel does because they come along and they give promises that God hasn't given. I, I and I, oh sorry, go ahead. To, you know, it's it's just, and the dangers are are profound. I just I I, I can relate a similar story. When I was in high school, there was a girl in our high school. I didn't really know her that well, but she got in a car accident and was on life support. And I was, again, in this kind of uh, theological thinking that if we just prayed with enough faith, then God would heal like he did as he walked in uh, his earthly ministry in the person of Jesus Christ. And um, and it turned out that uh, it, was the, it was the Lord's... Uh, the Lord would have it that the per, that that girl would not recover and she died, and um, yeah, so that kind of opens a person up to be like, oh, you know, here, here, I, why was I, why did God not perform? Was uh, was I not praying with enough faith? And so the whole theology, the whole um, the so-called gospel, is pointing everything really back to the person, and when it points everything and rests everything upon the person. It's resting it upon a sinner, and that's that's the most dangerous thing. Whereas true theology, we want to we want to direct our uh, faith to God and His promises, and there we'll see a God that that never fails to keep His promises mm-hmm. to the Word of God. I guess I should say, right? So to the Word, to the Word, to the Word. The Lord always keeps the promises that He gives, but He he oftentimes fights against the promises that he didn't give and the prosperity gospel sets people up to to face that danger so yeah so so the lord has given us enough and all that he wants us to believe in the it's part of this our doctrine of the sufficient of god's word is we're not looking for more promises for god to fulfill than what he's already given yeah that's right that's right well i have a couple couple minutes here left um so what what uh, what word of pastoral care would you speak to someone who maybe is in those darkest moments, uh, trusting in promises that God has not made? Uh, speaking as a pastor here, what, what would you say? Yeah, our chief verse, and I want to hear what you have to say too, but I think a chief verse that I want to go to is in what Paul says to the Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking to any anything else for comfort— I can look to the world and to all the troubles that I have for wisdom, but if I want to find comfort, I, I look to Christ. Let us, you know, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and in him we see God's yes and amen and the forgiveness of sins. Mm. What, what about you? What do you, what do you yeah, say? Well, maybe, maybe this would be a time to circle around and talk, go back to what we started this show talking about. So in the midst of this apparent disappointment that God hasn't come through, uh, we can ask the question: Did did Jesus die for you? Um, and if he has, then uh, has he abandoned you in this situation? Um, so that that now we can maybe you know, ask the question: um, uh, Could could God possibly lead me through this hard and difficult time, this cross, this this tribulation, and still uh, bring me through it for my good? And you can only answer yes to that question if you have a view of the cross. And if you have a view of the cross, then we can rejoice in our sufferings as Paul does. Um, uh, so, the, the, again, this points us to Christ, kind of to what your your point was, but in the end, I know that God's going to 
uh, take care of me even in this difficult time. Well, uh, Pastor, that was a good show. Thank you so much for uh, uh, your wisdom on this, and thank you all for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the hosts are as well-dressed as Hans Feeney. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this edition of of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio (laughs) is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete senses. Where's that cowboy hat? Psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, sudden craving to smell your vaccine, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. You need to get headphones like built into a 10-gallon cowboy hat. (laughs) That would be great.